Many popular Christian churches have an obsession with love. They talk about being loving as if it's synonymous with being godly. They measure the moral uprightness of every argument and behavior based on whether it is construed as lovingly supporting the receiver of the message. And I've even heard of ministry staffs being told that their collective assignment is to be the most loving church in the world. Now, I know that according to 1 Corinthians 13, love is the most excellent way. And I know that God is love, but the church is raising generations of people who are being conditioned to believe that love is the greatest value that the church has to hold out before the world. What the church? It is not. We're told in 1 Timothy 3.15 what the church is to hold out to the world before anything else. Paul says that the church of the living God is the pillar, the embodiment, and beacon of something in this earth, and it's not love. If it were, the church would not be unique in trying to personify that popular and misunderstood value. I mean, it seems like everything in the world from McDonald's to Planned Parenthood wants to represent love, and it falls over itself to make sure that we know it. But love is not what the church is called chiefly to hold out before the world. Let me just read this whole verse, 1 Timothy 3.15. I want you to know, Paul says to Timothy, how people are to conduct themselves in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground zero of the truth. There it is. The magic word is truth. We live in an age when truth, which is always supposed to be in submission to love, is totally subjective. Reality, of course, is that love is subject to the truth. And this truth is completely objective, not at all subjective. That is to say, Truth is true no matter what anyone thinks or says about it. That can be offensive, but this is, of course, the way it is with God. You can misunderstand him, misrepresent him, or attempt to ignore him altogether, but that will have no bearing on the unchanging truth of who he is. Now, if you were concerned about your health, and you went to a doctor, and he diagnosed you, You would want him to tell you the truth about the state that you were in, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want his truth-telling to be subject to what he or you thought of as as loving. You would simply want the truth, hopefully in a loving way. If you said, so what's a prognosis, Doc? And he said, you know, you're a really nice guy. At least I think you are. And you go, okay, what's the prognosis, Doc? And he goes, you know, I really like your sweater that you're wearing. You become annoyed. Because although he's speaking to you in a loving manner, he is making the truth subject to what he perceives to be love and won't tell it to you. Now, you ask the same doctor for his diagnosis, and with a pained look on his face, he says, I know this is hard to hear, but the truth is that you have cancer, and we need to start working on it immediately. You appreciate him first for having told you the truth, And then you're grateful that he gave it to you in a sympathetic or loving way. This is why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. He doesn't say, speak the love truthfully. It's speak the truth in love. That's Ephesians 4.15.
I was saying earlier that in pop culture, as much as it exists at all, truth is subject to love. But biblically, love is subject to truth. The famous passage about love in 1 Corinthians 13 says that love rejoices in the truth. That means that truth gives love boundary lines. And it means that we don't determine whether something is true based on whether we think it's loving. Truth stands atop love in the church, in spite of what modern Christianity may have told you. There are a couple of truly spooky passages in the Bible, and this bomb from 2 Thessalonians 2 is one of them. It's describing evil at the end of the world, and I want you to pay attention to which values it holds in tension. Here it goes. The coming of the Antichrist is through the activity of Satan, with great power and deceptive signs and wonders, all of them lies, and by unlimited seduction to evil, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing, because they did not love the truth so as to be saved. They rejected the truth that would have saved them. Because of this, God sends upon them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie in order that they all may be judged and condemned who did not believe the truth. They didn't love the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are the two poles in this passage. Loving the truth, taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth even more than being thought of as loving? May it be that the church at large would be loving, yes, but to do so only in service of the truth instead of swallowing her tongue because those greedy for popularity and social acceptability can't bring themselves to speak God's truth. Remember that the church is the pillar, not of love, but of truth. And remember that it's not love that can set the prisoner free. That verse is not in the Bible. It's not empathy. It's not understanding. It's not compassion. And it's not love. It's truth. Truth sets free. Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. If you have to choose one in service to the other, choose truth and make love serve it.